This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Well, welcome to Indictment Watch, my friends. I felt with all the different criminal proceedings being dropped upon our orange-tinted friend that it made sense to help you unpack what's actually happening and how things will go down. So we start today with Donald Trump's Georgia indictment. Trump has been charged alongside 18 other defendants, ranging from his high-profile allies like his former attorney Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, and former White House Chief of Staff Mark the Moron Meadows, to Trevion Cuddy, a former publicist who pressured an election worker to falsely admit to committing election fraud. With the former president set to turn himself in this coming Thursday, the truth is, I was hoping it was Friday, because that's my birthday. But the question remains whether or not that he will get cuffed and receive the customary mugshot. Fulton County officials insist that Trump will be treated like any other defendant, but we'll see if that's actually the case. Now, me personally, I hope he gets the royal fucking treatment, because I know what it feels like. Not once, but twice. Something he's managed to escape now three times. A judge in Atlanta set bail for Trump at $200,000 on Monday, telling him not to intimidate or threaten witnesses or any of his 18 co-defendants as a condition of the bond agreement. Now, for me, once again, I'm fucking pissed. Why? Well, my bond was set at $500,000. 500,000, two and a half times that of Trump. And what did I do? I paid a porn star not to talk about Trump's mushroom pecker. And now you get 500 and he gets 200,000 for what? He gets (laughs) $200,000. This is so crazy for trying to overturn a free and fair election. So, okay, sure. Now, earlier on Monday, federal prosecutors pushed back on a request from his lawyers to postpone the federal election interference trial in Washington, D.C. Get a load of this shit. Until at least April of 2026. But under his bond agreement in Georgia, Trump cannot communicate with any of the co-defendants in the case except through his lawyers. He was also directed to make no direct or indirect threat of any nature against the community, including posts on social media or reposts of posts made by other individuals. The terms were more extensive than those set for other defendants in the case so far, which did not specifically mention social media. In the past, Trump has made inflammatory and sometimes false personal attacks on Fannie Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, who is leading the case. Now that continued on Monday ahead of his bond being set. And in a post on his untrued social platform, Trump called Miss Willis crooked, incompetent, and highly partisan, and wrote that she has allowed murder and other violent crime to massively escalate. Now look, I know what it's like when Donald Trump turns his ire on you. I know what it's like to be the butt of his untruth social posts, or at that time, his Twitter posts. And I can assure you, It's not fun. It's not easy. And what he's doing is he's blowing a dog whistle for all of these maggot maniacs 
to go out there and to do something stupid. Something, unfortunately, that we're seeing day in and day out. Now, while Trump did not have to pay bail in the other criminal cases against him, the agreements posted for him and several of his co-defendants in Georgia on Monday require five- and six-figure sums. The defendants have to come up with only 10% of the bail amount, but even that could prove difficult for some, including, as you may have heard, Rudy Kaludi, who's running out of money and desperate for Trump to pay his legal bills. Now, you may not have heard about this, but Rudy and his lawyer, Bob Costello, another asshole, went down to Mar-a-Lago to explain to Donald exactly why he needs to pay Rudy's bills. Because if not, things could get bad. <laughs> I mean, this you can't make up. Racketeering cases are long and they're also expensive. In another racketeering case in the same court involving a number of high-profile rappers, jury selection alone has gone on for seven months. Now, Jenna Ellis, who's part of Trump's strike force, but probably better known as the attorney that Rudy Kaludi farted on in Michigan, expressed tremendous frustration over the looming legal costs a few days after her indictment in the case. And here's what she said. Why isn't MAGA Inc. funding everyone's defense? She asked last week on X, you know, the site that's formerly known as Twitter. Now, the indictment laid out eight ways the defendants were accused of trying to reverse the election results as part of a criminal enterprise by lying to the Georgia legislature, lying to state officials, creating fake pro-Trump electors to circumvent the popular vote, harassing election workers, soliciting Justice Department officials, soliciting Vice President Mike Pence, and breaching voting machines and engaging in an overall cover-up. Now, Trump has not been required to pay cash bail in the three other criminal indictment cases that he's been charged with this year, like the one in Manhattan and the two federal cases brought by the special counsel, Jack Smith, one in Miami and the other in Washington, D.C. So let's get into the heart of what this case is really all about. It's all about RICO. And what does it mean and how does it apply to this case? So RICO is an acronym, and it's short for the Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization Act, which was established in 1970, initially to prosecute the mafia and organized crime. But the law has been broadly applied to combat corruption, conspiracy, fraud, and a number of other offenses under an umbrella of coordinated criminal activity. Now, in 1989, the United States Supreme Court noted that the law was drafted, and I quote, broadly enough to encompass a wide range of criminal activity, taking many different forms and likely to attract a broad array of perpetrators. Now, following the law's effect, more than two dozen states began to adopt their own set of statutes under similar schemes. And typically, such laws allow prosecutors to charge multiple people who commit separate crimes all while engaged in a common enterprise. You beginning to see the point here? The indictment here says that Trump and his co-defendants 
constituted a criminal organization whose members and associates engaged in various related criminal activities, including, but not limited to, false statements and writings, impersonating a public officer, forgery, filing late documents, influencing witnesses, computer theft, computer trespass, computer invasion of privacy, conspiracy to defraud the state, acts involving theft and perjury. It adds that, and again I quote, the enterprise constituted an ongoing organization whose members and associates functioned as a continuing unit for a common purpose of achieving the objectives of the enterprise. So all the charges rolled together? Well, it means a RICO charge. I mean, just think about what I'm saying. A continuing unit for a common purpose of achieving the objectives of the enterprise. And what was the, what was the objective here? Well, the objective was clearly to overturn a free and fair election. Now, the Georgia state version of RICO is similar to the federal version of the statute that targets the so-called criminal enterprises. And Georgia's law allows prosecutors to pull an array of conduct, including activities that took place outside of the state of Georgia, but may have been part of the broad conspiracy into their indictments. So those convicted of racketeering charges, well, these assholes also face steeper penalties. It's a point of leverage for prosecutors if they are hoping to flip potential co-conspirators or encourage defendants to take plea deals. And I, I'm 100% certain that Rudy Colludi is definitely thinking about this because he's got no money and he's got no outs. Now, the law has been Fulton County DA Fannie Willis, her calling card. The Atlanta area prosecutor has used it in a number of high-profile cases that she's previously brought in Georgia against school officials, against gangs and musicians, including the rapper Young Thug. Now, while the total indictment lists nothing more than 41 additional felony counts, the 13 counts that apply to Trump fall into the following categories. First and foremost, one count of violating the state's Racketeered Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, again, acronym known as RICO. Number two, six counts, get a load of that shit, six counts of making false statements in writings, filing false documents, or conspiring to do so. Number three, Three counts of soliciting the violation of oath by a public officer. Number four, two counts of conspiring to commit first-degree forgery. And finally, fifth, one count of conspiring to impersonate a public officer. Those charges cover a range of alleged wrongdoing, including Trump's efforts to pressure Georgia officials to undo the election results his scheme to assemble false electors claiming to represent the state in the Electoral College, his submission of documents that contained lies about ballot fraud, and his attempts to enlist the Justice Department to aid his pressure campaign. Now, some of the charges entail automatic prison time under the Georgia Criminal Code. 
So for instance, if convicted of conspiring to solicit a public official to violate the oath of office, well, Trump would face a minimum one year mandatory prison sentence. Now Willis alleges that Trump committed that crime by pressuring the speaker, or I should say trying to pressure the speaker of the Georgia House, Brad Raffensperger, to call a special session to appoint fake electors. And the crime of first-degree forgery similarly carries a mandatory prison sentence of, again, at least one year. But in order to prove a RICO charge, there must be other conspirators. That's why Trump is not the sole defendant charged for orchestrating the enterprise under the RICO statute. Multiple Trump allies, including once again Trump's former blundering attorney Rudy Colludi and so-called fake elector supporters who signed an illegitimate version of the state's electoral college vote, well, these assholes have also been charged for their roles in the racketeering scheme. And I'm hoping that this is beginning to make more sense to you. Now, in terms of irony, the fact that Rudy Giuliani is part of this RICO indictment, well, for me and for many mafiosa, it's fucking amazing. And why? Well, he's accused of illegally soliciting Georgia state lawmakers, making false statements to the Georgia House and Senate, and the effort to put forward fake electors in Georgia. And why do I say that this is really sort of ironic? Well, because Giuliani's successful use of the federal RICO statute helped him dismantle the mafia in the 1980s. And he has long dined out on the belief that he's the guy responsible for changing the way the 1970 federal law is used to combat crime. So you know what we call that, you fucking jerk off? We call that fucking karma boomerang. And I quote, Using it against the Mafia Commission, Giuliani told the New York Times, and they kept, this goes back to 1989. That was an idea that no one had until I developed it and went down to Washington and started talking about it. And I came to the office with it. And now it's being used against you, buddy. So fantastic, you fucking asshole. I couldn't be happier that you went down in 1989 and then you got this changed. Now Trump decried the charges as, and I quote again, another witch hunt on his social media platform, Truth Social. But the case poses an especially serious threat because unlike Trump's two federal indictments, a conviction in Georgia state, just like it is in New York, could not be subject to a future presidential pardon. And now, today's six questions. The first question is which case does Trump fear more than Georgia or his Washington DC election charge? Well, it's my opinion that he fears each and every one of them. Now, I've also been, and not because I'm involved in it, but I have many times said on television and to the press that I do believe that the DA's criminal case, that's the Alvin Bragg case for the Stormy Daniels payment, as well as the business record fraud, is the easiest of every single case to prove. Now, a lot of people turn around and say, but Michael, how is that possible? We have a tape. We have a tape of Donald speaking to Secretary of State George Raffensperger in Georgia, asking him to find the 11,780 votes. And what would that do? Well, that would have changed the state's outcome, which, of course, 
would mean that it would change the will of the people. This is, despite the fact, an easier case to prove than, for example, January 6th. There are still defenses that Donald will try to bring. And that's why I say that the Alvin Bragg case in Manhattan, the Manhattan District Attorney case, is the easiest to prove because it's nothing more than documentary evidence of checks as well as testimony, corroborating testimony from a slew of individuals who have all, again, all corroborated the fact that Donald was involved in all aspects of the Stormy Daniels hush money payment. It's something I talked about when I went before the Southern District of New York and pled guilty. The thing that always bothers me, and I talk about it in my book, Revenge, at length, of course, is how is it possible after I named Donald as co-conspirator number one, how is it that the Southern District of New York never brought any charges against him, but all the charges were laid on me? And how is it that after knowing that Alan Weisselberg had lied to them about documents and about information relative to me, they still use that to go to the grand jury and to get an indictment against me, which of course ultimately resulted in giving me 48 hours from a Friday at 5.30 p.m. to Monday to come in and plead guilty, or they were going to file an 80-page indictment that included my wife. Now, I say to anybody that's there, whether it's your spouse, husband, wife, child, family member, if you allow this to take place, you really need to look at yourself. I was not going to. So which case, again, do I think that Trump fears the most? Georgia, D.C., New York. I think he fears each and every one of them the most because when he's sitting by himself at Mar-a-Lago in his hotel room, because it is not his residence, what ends up happening? He realizes that his ass is grass, that his shit is cooked, that he is going to be convicted because the facts speak for themselves. So the second question that I want to address here is a RICO charge puts pressure on defendants to flip. I mean, why would they end up knowing what Donald had done to me, knowing because many of them were probably involved themselves, why would Rudy Colludi not flip? Why would Mark the Moron Meadows not flip? My opinion is that they have already provided the testimony that is the nail in the coffin for douchebag Donald. All right. Now, Mark Meadows, as we all know, because it's been reported, has already done so federally. The question, of course, is, will he do so in the state court as well? And the answer is, why would he not? Once you've already given it to one, to one court, why would you not then provide it to the second? The information is already there. In fact, Mark Meadows' information that he provided to the federal agents is so damning to Donald, I don't know how Donald thinks that he has any chance other than what we all know, and that is to delay, 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 and hope that he actually pulls it off and wins, wins the presidency again. That way, 
he will pardon himself and he will create a constitutional issue that this country has never seen before and probably never will again. Unless, of course, you get somebody like Ramaswamy, you know, who thinks that he's Donald Trump 2.0 or, you know, Ron DeSnotnose who thinks he's Donald Trump 5.0. I mean, these people are out of their goddamn minds. But one of the issues that we have going on here is how is it that Donald thinks that he's going to be able to avoid this process of conviction and then potential incarceration? Now, I've said this many times and I say it again to you. I don't believe that Donald should be placed into a federal institution. I believe he should be placed into a home confinement scenario that is so strict, that is so like he is in prison. And the reason I don't want to see him in prison is because for four years, he was provided with information, with top secret classified information in these daily briefings that Donald will sell to any inmate that he can. He'll sell it to them for a bag of, you know, for a bag of tuna or for a book of stamps. He doesn't care about America. He doesn't care about our national security. I do. And that's why I would rather see him in a home confinement scenario over a federal institution. And again, when I said that Donald will create a constitutional crisis that this country has never seen before, one of the constitutional crises is if he becomes president and he pardons himself from the federal crimes, well, that still leaves Georgia and New York assuming that he is convicted of one or both. Well, now I'd like to see how the police are going to end up arresting Donald when he has Secret Service and the FBI behind him, not certainly going to allow the President of the United States to be handcuffed by anyone. This could turn out to be a real shootout between two federal agencies or a state and a federal agency. This is really no joke. I mean, I know it sounds far-fetched, and I know it sounds fucking crazy, but it's not. These are actual scenarios that could take place under certain circumstances. And again, unlike Al Gore, who gracefully walked away, unlike others, you know, who turned around and gracefully, like Richard Nixon, despite the fact he was a crook and he was a bad guy, Richard Nixon cared more about the Constitution of the United States. He cared more about keeping America whole. And that's why he walked away. Donald Trump doesn't give a shit about the Constitution. In fact, something Donald said himself, he wants to rewrite the Constitution. The only part that he wants to rewrite is a part that allows him to remain as president until the day of his death. And then he may even try to figure out how he could transfer that right to one of his family members or some designee. That's the danger that our country currently is facing as every day we sit and we listen and we watch the media just ad nauseum follow this fucking asshole literally from leaving his Marilardo estate, well, again, club, his social club, to driving with a caravan of individuals that's 
has highways closed down by local police to getting into his 757 aircraft to taking off, to landing, to once again being met by the authorities that clear a path for him in order to get into the prison or I should say the facility where he's going to be, whether it's swabbed, fingerprinted, mugshotted, whatever it is that they did behind closed doors. This is not right. He is not a rock star. He is not the president of the United States. He is a indicted defendant. And he, in my opinion, should be treated no better than I was treated, no better than anybody else was treated. He should not, in my estimation, he should not get a single special privilege because he has caused more damage to this country in four years or six if you include the run-up and also the year after. Maybe it's even seven if we count it up to today's date. He has done more damage to this country than any person I could potentially think of. And so the third question that was raised is what do you, Michael, make of Trump's $200,000 bond? Because it's not a lot of money for him, but... The question is, does it still represent the indignity of a defendant having to post bail, especially when that defendant is a former president of the United States and a self-proclaimed, you know, mega, mega billionaire? Well, look, as we all know, Donald did not have to post bond in any of the other three. Do I think he'll have any issue in terms of posting it? The answer is no. As you may be aware, in order to post a bond, you really only have to put 10% down. Um, Donald is not a flight risk. There's no way that he could be moved around, um, you know, whether it's the country or to leave the country. He is, let's, we, let's be honest with one another here, he is a recognizable individual, and he cannot flee anywhere without without somehow this information getting out to law enforcement. On top of that, all of his assets, for the most part, are here in the United States. And if, in fact, that he did that, the United States government would have probably a pretty decent right to start attaching these assets, um, which, of course, as you know, Donald cares more about money than anything else in the world. So do I find it an indignity to him? Well, good. I hope it does. But something I said the other night on CNN as I sat with Caitlin Collins about the same topic here, this $200,000 bond. What I do find ironic, again, is that I ended up being required to post a half a million dollar bond. All right? And while I didn't have to put any money down... We did sign collateral for the half million dollars, which existed and it was real and legitimate. But my half million dollars was for what? For fake fucking trumped up bullshit tax evasion charges? When if you read Revenge and I please, I ask you to so you understand what I'm talking about and that I will be talking about as I'm called in to testify, whether it's before the, uh, the New York District Attorney's uh, case, that trial, or the New York AG's civil case, or any other case. I hope that you read it so that you understand where I'm coming from here. I never fail to pay taxes. 
Not once. I've never asked for an extension except for the year 2017 when all this was coming down. I never not paid what my accountant, Jeffrey Getzel, told me to pay. I paid every penny. I never had an overseas business. It was, in, it was no cash. There was no nominee. There was no fake invoices like we saw with Paul Manafort when he purchased that ridiculous jacket made out of ostrich. I never had fake invoices or nominees or businesses or bank accounts. None of that existed. None of the elements that constitute tax evasion existed in my specific case. What did I do? I acknowledge I did wrong. I paid Stormy Daniels at the direction of and for the benefit of and in con concert with Donald J. Trump and his instructions to do so. Plain and simple. All right, why I'm getting a $500,000 bond when his $200,000 bond is for attempting to overturn a free and fair election here in the United States? If that's not a fucking head scratcher, I don't know what is. If that's not enough for independence, and it's so important that the independence vote blue, that we get a massive blue wave, we get rid of the Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, the Lauren Boebert's, the Marjorie Toilet Greens, we get rid of the, the, just the whole group of these far right-wing maniacs that don't care about the country anymore, that their fealty is 100% behind Donald J. Trump. And to me, again, we need Everybody, we need the Gen Zers, we need everyone to turn around to say, this is not the America that we want to leave to our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations to come. All right, so again, why Donald's is 200,000, I don't know the answer to it. I've seen the breakdown by the judge. I respect the judge's decision. If that's the amount, that's the amount. Why my judge, who I have no regard for Judge William H. Pauley III, a complete and total asshole, right? Why he ended up giving me a half a million dollar bond, I have no idea. It's certainly, the punishment in my case never fit the crime, whether it was the bullshit HELOC, or how about, how about the issue of me being held accountable for Karen McDougal, when everybody knows, and again, it's in the book, all the documents that prove it, all the information that has already been released, how is it that I get fined, not just for Stormy Daniels, but for Karen McDougal, $50,000 for each case when it was David Pecker, AMI, the National Enquirer, that handled the entire thing from soup to nuts, that paid her, Karen McDougal, the $150,000, I end up being held accountable for it while they give limited immunity to Pecker and others and Alan Weisselberg and others. This just doesn't make sense. But again, as the numbers don't really matter here because it's Donald Trump. Nevertheless, I do hope that it bothers him. I do hope that people understand that this $200,000 bond represents the fact that Donald Trump is now a four-time indicted defendant in various different cases that can and most probably will cost him his freedom. So the next question, the fourth question here, is 
somebody who I, you know, I can't stand. I talk a lot about him, Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani. He's running around and he's being treated like a desperate dog by Donald. So the question is, like a dog, will Rudy ever flip? Will he start rolling over for his tummy to get rubbed against his boss by, you know, by prosecutors? And my belief is yes. I mean, he and Bob Costello did not go down to Mar-a-Lago to impress upon Donald the necessity of taking care of Rudy. And you all may remember, there was a time where Rudy turned around and said, you know, got to be honest with you, I have information, I have, I have evidence, smoking gun evidence, that I don't want to release, but would be very detrimental to Donald. Okay, he said it, we've never seen it. Is it true? I don't know. Who knows what the hell Rudy's talking about 95% of the time. But if he has anything... And if it looks as if, though, Donald is going to do to Rudy what he did to me, Rudy would be the dumbest fucking guy on the planet not to turn against Donald. And I hate, in all fairness, I really hate the term flip. It's cooperate. It's to do what you are obligated to do. You know, people forget the fact that when I testified before the various committees, I was subpoenaed initially by the Senate Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. And once you get that subpoena not to do, not to go in and not to provide the testimony, leaves you for contempt of court, which I did not want. So I provided truthful information against Donald. Yes, it was against him. But the term flip sort of connotes something very, again, organized, crimeish, mobbish. That's not what I did. I complied with, with a subpoena, and then I continued because the information was already there in the record, and that I was told that if I did not comply, that they would subpoena me the same way the Senate Permanent Select Committee did. So what was the point? Now, I do want to say that with the Manhattan District Attorney case, I was subpoenaed um, to come in, and I was also subpoenaed to appear before the grand jury. So going back, to, do I think Rudy will flip against Donald? I think he's already done it. And if he hasn't, I am certain, knowing Bob Costello, don't have regard for him, but know him well enough to know his relationship with Rudy. He cares for Rudy, which is something that Donald does not. He is telling Rudy, you have no choice. You do what you need to do, and what you need to do is immediately provide whatever information that you have. We need to sit down, queen for a day with them, get them to understand the information that you could provide, and get yourself out of this before you end up dying in prison. Because unlike Donald, he's not going to get into a home confinement situation. He will end up in some facility in the witness protection block because of who he is. That's what I think will happen. And that's no way for Rudy to end up um, finishing, you know, the golden years of his life. So next question. You've been through the arraignment process before post-indictment. Michael, walk us through what these defendants can expect. Again, 
it's very rote what goes on here. It's not like because it's me or it was Donald or it's um, Cheesebro or Rudy or Jenna Ellis. It doesn't make a difference. Their process is the process and they really stick to it. You go in, you know, they make you, in my case, they made me take off my shoes uh, because you're not allowed to have belts. You can't have shoelaces. Uh, they then took my fingerprints. They took a swab uh, from my mouth. Uh, they went ahead. They photographed me for a mugshot. Actually, no fantasy, my friends. I look pretty good in that mugshot. Um, and then they go ahead. They have you sign a whole series of documents. You then go, you know, ultimately before the judge and you plead whether it's guilty or not guilty. And in this specific case, uh, I I'm under the pretty, pretty good impression that, of course, Donald is going to, you know, come out with a not guilty plea, as I think most of them will. But I am hoping to see that at least a handful or less individuals have more of a brain than Donald does. Um, and they actually plead guilty because they have some sort of a deal as we talked about in the previous question, that they have some sort of deal already worked out with the um, prosecutors in this specific case. And so now the last question posed to me, Michael, considering the vastness of the case and the sure amount of defendants, is bringing a RICO charge a risky maneuver? I don't think so. And as I had said earlier, Fannie Willis has done this before, where she has prosecuted large groups of individuals, gangs, um, you know, where there's 50 individuals. Now, is it possible that some, or at least Donald, will try to figure out ways to delay this case and then try to delay it some more and some more? Well, we know that that's his, you know, that's part of the playbook. And I think that he will try to do that. And one way is he may end up going ahead and firing his attorneys and saying that he's going to need another 30, 60, 90 days in order to get, you know, counsel. And the reason why he's going to ask for like 90 days is because there aren't a lot of attorneys out there that aren't either conflicted, that they're unable to represent him because they have conflicts of interest, or they just simply don't want to represent him because he is by far, the most difficult client that you could possibly imagine. So I don't think it's a risky maneuver. I think Fonnie Willis thought this through. I think her indictment, which is an 80-page document, I believe, and I've said this before, it reads like a book, like a well-written book that outlines from beginning to end, laying out the foundation of her case and taking it all the way to what will ultimately be the decision of the jury. And the way that it reads, it almost doesn't seem like it's possible, whether you are a supporter of Trump or not, if in fact you are not biased going in, and that is certainly the hope when you voir dire a jury, that you find people who are willing to have an open mind and to either charge him or not, that these individuals will do that. And if, in fact, that they are free in their mind of how they intend to decide this case based upon the facts, the facts as laid out by Fannie Willis 
bring you to only one conclusion. And that is Donald is guilty, as are the other 18 people charged in this conspiracy. So my friends, thanks so much for joining us for this. We are going to do this again. I will be back tomorrow, my friends, with another edition of Indictment Watch. This is so out of control. Who in their right minds ever thought that we would see a president or a former president of the United States indicted not once? That should be disqualifying in and of itself. Not twice, not three times, but four times, soon to be five, soon to be a fifth indictment. So this is too important. I'm going to come to you each and every day with some of the questions that you're posing to me that I'm receiving uh, via whether it's through my Twitter account, um, which is now X. Uh, on threads, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook, or on um, Snapchat, anywhere that I'm at, you could send me your questions and I will try to include them. So again, feel free. If you have any questions, go to my Twitter page, leave it with, again, Instagram, any form of social media that I'm on, and just let them rip. In that way, I can come and I can answer them for you. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.